you know, I came into this baseball season with high expectations, but I don't think I could have possibly predicted what happened Thursday night. The first walk-off of the season was hit by Seth Beer, first of all, the Arizona Diamondbacks of all team. And it just so happened that Arizona, excuse me, April 7th was National Beer Day. What possible better script can you write? You can't write a better script. You you absolutely can't, and we're just going to love everything we see out of the NL West all season, and that was just a taste of it. Just a small little taste of what you get out of NL West play every single year, and also a small little taste of what you get out of Padres baseball every <laughs> year, because Dude. that's that's how it goes. That's typically how it goes. You get, you get a gem. Gem from you, Darvish, going up against the Diamondbacks, and then the bullpen has to blow it for you, right? But yeah. that, that's why they trade for Rodgers, right? Yeah. No kidding, they needed that. All right, well, we don't have a lot of baseball to talk about today because we covered that earlier in the week, and, you know, we're one day into the season. But we do have a lot of basketball, and who better to bring on than a sad Knicks fan and Syracuse fan, Mr. Steven Sklar. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. Yes. I'll wait for the applause to die down. Yeah, no, honored to come on the pod. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. All right, so we begin today with who won the national championship on the men's side Monday night? Kansas Jayhawks have broken the curse of 08. Since then, they have been renowned for choking in the big games. Look at 2018 Villanova as a prime example of that. But not only do they stomp Villanova, they pull off the biggest comeback in championship game history, rallying down from 16 against North Carolina. Steven, my question to you is, was that comeback, was it a result of Kansas playing out of their minds, or UNC crumbling at the most inopportune time? Well, UNC's a good team, but I think that they sort of used up all of their energy, and they played a really emotional game when they went up against Duke. So when it came time for the second half, I, I remember watching the game and hearing uh, hearing uh, Hubby Davis go into the locker room. Like, we felt disrespected. We felt we felt like we were the underdogs in a spot where we shouldn't have been underdogs in. And that was just after the first half of play. So I think UNC kind of went into the locker room, eyes a little bit bigger than their stomach, and then they came out and UNC turned it on like they did against Miami a little bit earlier in the tournament. You, you can't really discount what Kansas did. No. You definitely you can't discount the performance from McCormick. You can't discount the 14 points, 11 second-half points that you got from Remy Martin. He, he By the way, Remy Martin was really the X factor in absolutely, that game. Absolutely, absolutely. Because they wouldn't have been in that situation if it weren't for his hot shooting. And sometimes all it takes is just having that one good night, having a hot night where you're hot from three and sinking a couple of shots that people don't expect to go in. So I think the answer to the question, was it bad Kansas or good Kansas or bad Carolina? I think the answer is neither. Look, basketball is a game of runs, and that was none the more evident by the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half. Carolina went on a 16-0 run towards the end of the half to put them ahead by 16. That's what got them their big lead in the first place. But Kansas eradicated that deficit rather quickly. And they went on a, coming out of the locker room, they went on a 25-10 to 10 run to knock the game at 50. Right, it was all it second was, half adjustments. It was all so, second exactly. half adjustments. So UNC jumped out on a run so quickly. Kansas responded so quickly. I'm not sure it's really a factor of either of them. But when you look at UNC's final possession, Caleb Love takes it up the court, probably the best shooter on the floor, uh-huh. and chucks up a three, a very contested three with 15 seconds left to go. You're lucky enough to get the offensive rebound, then you can't get into anything. That was some of the worst, worst game, late game execution I have ever seen 
in all sports. Uh, late game execution was terrible on both sides because yes, then you also, you also can't discount, and I'm saying the word discount a lot, I just realized, but you also can't <laughs> discount that inbound play, that Kansas ran oh, that yeah. gave the ball right back to UNC. <laughs> all, all you have to do is make sure that both your feet are inside, in between the lines, and they couldn't even make that happen. They gave UNC the chance to hop back in the game. If Kansas had lost that game, that would have been probably higher up on the choke list than what Chris Webber did against North Carolina 20-something years ago. Justice for Baycott, though. That would have been, yeah, that that would have been, been justice for, for Armando Baycott. And, you know, he's come out recently saying, blames the floor for it. I mean, yeah, but at the same time, he, he, I, he rolled, it's tough. It's tough. It really is. I feel nothing but bad for him, but... I, I just, I just, I just tell you to look at the, look at the tape. Fifteen and fifteen. Well, just look at, look at the tape and look at what happened. If you ever seen a floorboard move, floorboard move like that? No. No, because I've never seen a floorboard move like that either. If, if Baycott was fully healthy, then the story of this game may be entirely different. But that's, you know, an entirely different universe it's, to look at. Yeah, it's a totally different story if Armando Baycott's in that game to, to, to stop. McCormick from backing down, uh, backing in on them down low because he he flipped up that shot over Brady Manick with so much ease, with with so little effort. It was just like one of those little flicks of the wrist. It was like they knew what the play. Well, I'm sure when Kansas went down on that end of the court, they knew exactly what they were going to run because they knew that they had the matchup advantage and the size advantage down there that they yeah. didn't have all game. Because the case was with Armando Baycott, it was one of those things where it's like. Armando Baycott's just big. Yeah. He's a, he's 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 a massive immovable force that cannot be stopped no matter what you do. It wasn't a matter of game plan versus game plan. It was simply just Armando Baycott's going to work his size to his advantage and back you down and almost like try and kill you every single time that he goes down there and the only thing you're going to be able to do is foul him maybe. Like if you want to stop him from putting in the easy two, it would have been easy to foul him, but I'm not sure if that really would have lowered his production because he was still shooting just fine from the free throw line too what he did in the ncaa tournament was nothing short of remarkable the first player ever with six double doubles in a single tournament he had two 20 plus rebound games the last five games of the tournament he accumulated at least 15 rebounds every single time 610 240 force of nature but and it stinks but i think at the end of the day the better team won yeah, the better team. The better team did win. The team that played better defense won. The team that executed in the crunch won. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kansas did everything that you expect out of a championship team. McCormick in particular. McCormick in particular, absolutely. UNC the entire tournament, sort of. I mean, it didn't feel like they got an easy route to the championship. I mean, they beat the one seed, but then they went on. All they had to do to get to the final four was get through St. Peter's. <laughs> it's like. You know, that's not really the toughest of runs when you yeah. really calculate it up against some of the other teams that made it to the Final Four. Duke had a much tougher run because, uh, again, Baylor was also the weakest one seed out of anybody in the tournament. And they were, they were hurt, too. Yeah, they, and they, exactly. They were hurt. Uh, they had the easiest uh, one seed in their region. Duke had a much tougher time getting to the, uh, the Final Four. Kansas had a much tougher time getting there. Villanova even had to go through a tough— Kansas played one good team. Yeah, they went, the, but but but, I wouldn't say that UNC's run was really all that remarkable. No, I I would agree with that. I wouldn't say that going up against Marquette really 
lights up. It, it, like it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. It, yeah. It's nothing special going up against Marquette. Marquette's a good team, but it's they played the way ninety percent of the Big East plays when they get to the tournament. It's <laughs> not like like it's not like they're Villanova, you know? No, yeah. All right. So UNC did beat Duke to get to the title game, which put an end to the career of one Mike Krzyzewski. The legendary head coach walks away from it all with five national championships. Steven, where does he rank all time among collegiate head coaches? Ooh. Two. Two behind Wooden. Nobody's done what he's done in the modern era of basketball, the way that recruiting works now. Five championships. So many coach of the years. Um, and really putting together the run that he did with all of the freshmen that he had on this lineup. I mean, Mark Williams was really one of the only experienced guys on that team. Uh, I guess A.J. Griffin has a little bit of experience to his name, too. He'll go to the NBA, Yeah, and he'll be a fine player, too. But a lot of the guys on that team just just new to the league, new to playing that level of basketball and still made it to the Final Four. Almost not a Cinderella run, but it feels like it's somewhat out of a fairy tale, the way that it all happened. All right, so in terms of where he ranks all-time, on the men's side, he's indefinitely number two behind Coach John Wooden. Correct. Overall, in terms of all college basketball, I think it's Wooden one, Geno two. I'll go Tara Vanderveer at Stanford three. More on the women's side later. And then I think Coach K slots in at number four. If you include all of college, you may throw a Nick Saban type in there. But basketball alone, he's number four because what Geno, Coach Wooden, and Tara Vanderveer did is – Far more remarkable than what Coach K has done. I think the most remarkable thing that Coach did this year was letting UNC get to the national championship just so they could lose in embarrassing fashion. Like, it feels like almost after that game, Duke sort of gets a last laugh in there. I disagree wholeheartedly. Why? Well, so... do you th- UNC made it to the title game. Duke didn't. Yeah, but do you think that, it, that losing in the title game is worth it after talking all of that junk that you talked to the Duke fans? Uh, North... I mean, they have every right to be talking all the smack in the world at Blue Devil Nation. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, North co- Carolina, of course they did. Of course North they did. North Carolina ended Coach K's career at Cameron with a loss, and they ended his career in the Final Four with a loss. Cardinal fans live rent-free in the minds of Durham, North Carolina right now. Other way around. What? Complete other way around. It's Duke that's living in the heads of all the Tar Heels fans because you beat Duke, and then you have a championship game to play that they fall, lost. Right? You you fall flat. It's like you didn't even care because you were so worked up talking about Duke and talking about ending Coach K's career. But if, and, Duke, if Duke fans are talking all that smack, if they were so good, or if they're talking about UNC losing in the championship game, I guarantee you it would have been a much worse if Duke was playing Kansas. Yeah, but, okay, so I, I just I just question the motives of UNC going uh, uh, down there late in the tournament. Like, what was really your national championship? What was your national championship if you're going to be all that if you're going to be as excited as you were to go take down Duke but then really not play the part in the national championship game or really have the same energy that you did coming into the final four game it's like where were your priorities and maybe should they recheck them because that Duke game was not as important well, the as fact, the ultimate the fact goal of the matter is Steven is that Carolina had absolutely no business being in the championship game none no one expected them to make it there i did what? Yeah, I expected them to be a Final so Four team. You did not pick North Carolina in the Final Four. No, I did. Bracket. I did. I did. I had multiple brackets. Okay. I, I, did, <laughs> did you uh, did you pick North Carolina to make it in the big one with all of our buddies at Syracuse? No, no you didn't. No, I didn't. Not in that you one. You picked? Oh, the Kentucky Wildcats. 
Okay, okay, I can't shame you for that. I also picked Kentucky. Kentucky was my championship team. Huh. That that is a brutal blow. But considering you still placed higher than any other person who. But I think I think if you look at that bracket, North Carolina is in my elite eight. I think they're high up in there. I'm sure they are, but you know, kudos to you. But I think you're giving heel fans a little bit too much of a time. But. Moving no, I'm, I'm just not happy with the way that they're reacting to all of this. It's like, I get it. You beat Duke, and that's exciting if you're a North Carolina fan. But it's like, okay, if you had nothing to play, if there was no chance at a postseason, right? It's one thing if they have no chance at a postseason or a tournament berth, and they're getting excited after knocking off Duke at home in Coach K's last okay. game at Cameron Indoor. Okay. That's one thing. But the fact is that you're in a Final Four, and the ultimate goal is a championship. So why is it that you celebrate all that much just to wind up losing and falling short of the ultimate goal? Okay, I see where you're coming from, but I disagree. Fair. All right, moving into the women's side, the South Carolina Gamecocks put on a defensive performance for the ages against the UConn Huskies. 49 points for one of the most dominant teams in college basketball. Steven, this... We I slept on this Gamecocks team too much. I didn't realize they were this good defensively until Sunday night. Yeah, neither did I. But uh, Dawn Staley's got a sick team. She's a great coach, and she coached the hell out of them to get oh to that God, spot. Yeah. Coached the hell out of them. Outcoached Geno in a national championship game like that, keeping UConn under 50 points like that. They've got a good team. They've got a really good team. I'm hoping that they bring it back and run it run it back with as many as many players as they can, because I'd like to see South Carolina get back to that point. Yeah, and the Gamecocks have, this wasn't just a national championship game, they've been on fire defensively really the whole tournament. So you start with their first round game against Howard. Yeah, that's a 16 seed. But 21 points in a college basketball game is unfathomable. Steven, it's ridiculous. And then you hold Miami to 33, that's a tough ACC team. Then you hold North Carolina to 61, that's considered a quote-unquote down game. Then you'll Creighton to 50. Then this is when they really turned it on. The final four against the Louisville team that is dynamic offensively. Haley Van Lith, one of the best guards in the country, scored 20 points, excuse me, 20 plus in all four games in the tournament leading up to this. South Carolina held her to nine in this game. It speaks to speaks volumes about what kind of team that they are and how well coached that they are. And those are the kind of teams, these these are the programs, the ones that show up in these big moments and, and, and perform the way that they do. These are the programs that wind, wind up having a long-lasting legacy. Yeah, and when you look at the title game, you, you, South Carolina out-rebounded UConn 49-24. to 24. Doubled them. They doubled them up. And doubled then them. also when you found her in that they forced 15 turnovers, held UConn to just 25% shooting from beyond the arc. The only player on the Huskies that really showed up was Paige Beckers. Yeah. And then maybe... Maybe you could throw in, Ken, throw in Caroline Ducharme, who had nine points off the bench. But other than that, this wasn't a great offensive performance at all. I love when teams go wire to wire. There's something so satisfying about it, watching a team come out and kick butt from the jump and then wind up just winning the game like that, too. Wind up winning the game. Is that what just... Do I just that's, that's what just happened? We're watching yeah. the Yankee game here, the Yankees-Red Sox game. That's a tie ball game. DJ LeMayhew. We'll get to that later, though, Shouldn't right? Shouldn't have left Whitlock in for a third inning. No, that, no, two-inning guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just let him get his six outs and then move on in the bullpen. That was a right-center field shot, yeah, right? Yeah, it was right-center field shot. Next to, the, next to the bullpen. But, um... He had a great at-bat, too. It was fouling off a bunch of pitches. 
that's what you get out of DJ. I'm happy he's not in the leadoff spot anymore. Uh, do you really think Donaldson is a good idea in the leadoff spot? I don't know who you want in the leadoff spot. Like, me personally, my perfect leadoff guy is a high batting average guy, high OBP guy also, but also has a little bit of speed. And it's like, where are you going to get speed on this Yankees roster? IKF? Yeah, kind of. You, know, you really want him leading off, though? I I don't know. Like, I don't know if I want him leading off. I know he's only like a 320 OBP guy, but let's say halfway through the season, that number's a tick higher, and he's at like 340, maybe 335, 340. Okay. Would I be upset if he was leading off just to get the speed on the bases? No, I don't think so. I think, uh, like, okay. I think I'm open to... Cause that's what the Yankees are going to do. They're going to toy around with their lineup all season long anyway. So it's like, maybe give him a chance and see how that works out. Give him a ch- give him like five, six games where he's leading off and see how the team does. All right. I still want to touch on UConn briefly. Yes. What is the future of the Huskies program? Because it's been a while since they've won a national championship. In fact, I don't think they've won since 2016. And Paige Beckers isn't going to be around forever. No, she's not. That was a... Yeah, interesting game for UConn, especially going into the game 11-0 and in national championship games. Unheard of. Yeah, Unheard I, of. I mean, that's just uncharted territory for UConn. Uh, there's two ways to react to that. It's, let's go back, let's go get revenge, and that's how I think Gino and the, and the rest of the Huskies will try and respond. But it's also, you can look at it as, uh, like, maybe this is the end. And maybe this is the end for the UConn era, and maybe they're sort of on the on the downslope and other teams are going to get their chances. I'd like, I'd like to think that UConn's not done. I mean, my entire life, UConn's just been that dominant team in, in women's college basketball. You've never been able to, to go into a season without talking about UConn as a perennial national championship contender. And I think it'll stay that way. I, I Like UConn will be back. I don't have any yeah. doubts about that. They'll be back and they'll win another one. Because that's just what this program is built off of. That's their foundation. I think that there has been no other example in all of sports where you've had such a dominant mainstay like UConn women's basketball. I don't think there's any. Uh, I don't think there's anything that comes even close to what they've been able to do with the fact that rosters change year in and year out, making it. To 14 straight Final Fours is something we will never see again. Mm-hmm. It's just so weird having so many other teams that... Yeah. Going going into a, a women's college basketball season with so many other teams that you think can contend for the it's, crown. It is a nice change, though. It is a nice change, but it just feels weird. It doesn't feel right. So, I think that as long as Gino Ariema is the UConn coach, they will have a chance, but they're no longer... The hunted, they are turning into a hunter because that, that might not be bad for them. I don't think it's bad for them either. But I, I, what, I, I, I never think what, that that's a bad thing. Given what the South Carolinas and Stanfords of the world have done over the past few years, I think they right now have to be the favorites going into next season. That being said, it would not surprise me at all if UConn wins it all. In fact, I'm picking them to win the national title next year because. It's unfathomable that Paige Beckers doesn't win a championship with how big of a star she is. In fact, she's probably the biggest star in all of college basketball, that's men's or women's. Because yeah. when you look at the men's side, there's no 
There's no there, there's, yeah, that, there's no face. Exactly. There's no face for men's college basketball. And Paige Beckers is without question the face of women's college basketball. Oh uh, yeah, un, um, undoubtedly. She's she's got all the NIL deals coming in too. Yeah. Like all, all the guys are jealous of the contracts and the money that she's got coming in. Oh yeah, uh, I'm jealous too. All right, moving into the pro basketball, the, Steven, There's a lot to dissect, but the Eastern Conference, one word, N E S S Y. Messy. Messy, yes. Because when you look up and down, you've got three through five. Actually, I lied. Three through four is extremely tight. No, two through four, excuse me. Extremely tight. And then there's the whole playing factor that just leaves a lot of uncertainties. Uh, Why? Because the Nets are in there? Yes. Yeah. It's because the Nets are in there and they're probably going to wind up playing in the Eastern Conference Finals anyway. You think so? I think... It, yeah, I think it's inevitable that they get there. I think it's inevitable that if they're healthy, uh, then the Nets are going to go into the play-in, and then they're going to go into the first round and the second round. And they're going to, I mean, just look at the players that they have and look at their history. Experience comes into play at this uh, at this stage of the game. They have a lot of experience. They have championship guys. That, I mean, the, the, the sole reason that team was built is to win championships. Uh, and now they're sort of in a position where they're being um, undervalued and they're being misjudged. And you can't do that with a team like that. You, can, you can't do that when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are, are fighting a battle on the same side of the equation. The only thing that, actually, the thing that worries me about the Nets big time is they are a horrible defensive team, Stephen. Mm. And... If they don't get Ben Simmons in time, which it's not looking like they will, then they're going to have – they're, they're not going to be successful defensively come playoff time because – Right, because they need Ben Simmons to do exactly. well in if the If Brooklyn playoffs, gets right? the seven seed, they will probably match up with the Milwaukee Bucks. Which they will get the seven seed because they'll beat, they'll beat the Cavs tonight. Do they play the Cavs tonight? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, 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 that's a big game. I, and if they do that, then they control their own destiny. They do control their own destiny. Yeah. So – if they play Brooklyn, excuse me, Milwaukee, that's troublesome, is it not? Because this last year, Milwaukee knocked out Brooklyn with a similar roster. Yeah. And then I know James Harden was playing in place of Kyrie Irving, but... Well, yeah, just just as long as Giannis is playing, which there's no reason that he wouldn't be, barring any kind of unfortunate circumstance that could happen to him. Like, you'd never want to see Giannis get injured yeah. this late in the game. Yeah. And you'd want to see him play for the entire... Uh, for the in, in the entire series, yeah, Giannis creates a lot of matchup problems for them. He I, creates a lot of matchup problems for everybody. That being said, that being said, Milwaukee hasn't looked particularly sharp, particularly on the defensive end. Heck, they let half of Boston's team stay in the game with them last night. So there's that. When you look up and down the Eastern Conference, you've got Miami. I have serious questions about them, but they're still a strong team. Boston. You were, we were talking before the episode about you thinking they peaked at the right time, but. If they get Bob Williams back healthy, look out. Peaked, it peaked at the wrong time. Yeah. Yeah, because now coming down the stretch, they've been a little... Eh. Because they haven't had Robert Williams. Right, because they haven't had Robert Williams. All right, Philly, a team with two renowned playoff chokers, next. Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. Toronto, we can cross them off. But I hope they make the championship. I hope not. Just so they lose. <laughs> just so they lose. Also, can we also talk about how Joel Embiid is being such a big baby when talking about the MVP? award like who cares stop who cares no one cares no nobody cares 
Nobody wants to hear that. Your own fans probably don't want to hear that. Yeah. They probably want to hear uh, how, whether you, or not you probably want to hear. They want to hear. They want to hear you're getting. Yeah, game. they want to hear that you're getting prepared for the playoffs coming up. Two two just mentally weak guys on the same side. That never works out. Yeah, absolutely. And then Chicago is completely falling apart. If the Celtics match up with them in the first round, I'll be licking my chops. <laughs> All right, now to a team that you and I both love to bash on, so let's get into it. People were saying before the season, the Los Angeles Lakers are going to win 70 games. They're going to be the best team in NBA history, and they can't even make the play-in tournament. Steven, I think that for the hype they got at the start of the season, it is the biggest letdown in modern professional sports, or at least as far as I can remember. Nepotism at its finest. It does not work. That's what happens when you let lead GM do whatever he wants and bring in his buddies, his old washed-up buddies. He's taking control of the team and not letting the basketball minds do the general managing. It's like, listen, LeBron, he's done it in the past. He's been the general manager for a bunch of Cavs teams in, in the past, but they weren't necessarily the best teams. They were getting peak LeBron, and they also had a lot of youth on their side. Like, without Kyrie Irving those Cavs teams aren't doing nearly as well as they have. Also, Kevin Love. And Kevin Love, too, right, X-Factor. It's like, LeBron, LeBron may be an MVP this year, you know, having a great statistical season, but he's also not off the hook for being the sole reason that this team was put together the way that it was. No, and we saw him the other night when they got eliminated. He walked off the court with, like, five minutes left. Right, he was checked out. Yeah, clearly. He was checked out, and this ankle injury... That he's got this ankle injury coming down the stretch sounds a little bit bogus. Sounds really? like it sounds like he he doesn't really want to play anymore. Uh, no, yeah, he seems checked out. Like the fact of the matter is, is that he's in his upper thirties and he's still he. It just he holds himself like, to such his ego is so high. Like, he calls himself the goat. It just didn't work out. That no. team was never designed to work out. It was always meant to be a team with LeBron and his buddies. And bringing in all these guys that carry carry legacy with them, but they're all old and they don't mesh well together, and they don't have a lot of young guys or shooters or guys that can space out the floor. It was a terribly constructed team. It was no shooters on the team, like you said. Russell Westbrook throwing up bricks left and right. Anthony Davis struggling to stay healthy, and down the line. The and they Lakers. could have they could have gotten better too. They they, they didn't better. want to do anything. They didn't want to go after Buddy Heald. They didn't want to get. DeMar or Kyle Lowry, they didn't they, want to get any of these guys. They jeopardized their entire future with that Anthony Davis trade. Yeah. Granted, they got a ring out of it, so you can't bash them for that, but Brandon Ingram's gone. Lonzo's gone. Caruso's gone now. Josh Hart is gone. Up and down, you look at all these younger guys the Lakers have thrown away, Kuzma and Harrell as well in D.C. Yeah. I don't see them doing much down right. the line. Classic case of LeBron thinking he's smarter than everybody else. <laughs> and at the end of the day, this just proves that he's mortal. And he messes up just as just as much as the rest of us do. He just happens to do it on a much bigger stage. And we get the blessings of being to criticize him <laughs> when he falls flat on his face like this. Especially coming from Boston and New York, two teams that have fan bases comparable in yeah, I mean, just two big, mar- two, two big market cities that want the worst for the other ones. Exactly. All right, moving down the line in the Western Conference, when you look at the play-in, I see Minnesota, who 
has finally, for the grace of God, put it together with Towns deloading. They can make some noise. The mm-hmm. Clippers, I think, are the most fascinating team to dissect in the playoffs because if Kawhi Leonard comes back, they could make a lot of noise. That being said, he has to come back full potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a matter of which of these teams find a secret weapon to sort of step up for them when, uh, when they get to these games. I'm not really so much interested in the matchups that are happening in the playing game, in the West playing game. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. They're not, there's no real enticing matchup in them right now. It's going to be, so as it stands right now, it's Minnesota and the Clippers, and then it's New Orleans and it's San Antonio. It's like no real star power in these games. Nothing that nothing that really gets me to want to watch. That That's an issue with the NBA right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, yeah, like I just want to find a reason to watch these games and it, it it's kind of hard. Like I'm going to watch them because they're going to be on. Like I, don't get me wrong, but it's like what am I watching them for other than to see who moves on to lose? Yeah, you know, New Orleans, I don't see them doing anything without Zion. However, the fact that they are doing this without Zion, you can't help but be at least a little encouraged. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, then hopeful. San Antonio, I mean, they honestly feel like Dead men walking at this point. I love Pop. Love Pop, but he's not getting any younger. No, he's not getting any younger. I mean, yeah, San Antonio, New Orleans, neither of these teams... W- would you expect either of these teams to go into a game versus the Suns and, and then beat them in a best-of-seven series? Absolutely not. I think, I think if it were Minnesota or LA going against them, though, it would make things a little more interesting. By, like, a game, maybe? Yeah, maybe, so, yeah, maybe, maybe as opposed to the Suns in five... Get Suns and six. Suns and four. It's Suns and four. It's Suns and four if they get to go up against New Orleans or San Antonio. If it gets New Orleans or San Antonio. Yeah, yeah it's but... Suns and four if that happens. Suns and five if they get Minnesota or the Clippers. And yeah, it's going to be... It's hard to believe but, but we're already I, at this point. That can't even happen because Minnesota and L.A. are clinched into the spots. I mean, they're going to play each other. It's like... I, I, we're just speaking hypothetically in the sense, like, if they had gotten maybe a stronger opponent that maybe you see like a little bit more competition happening with that. It's very hard to believe that the season has already come to this point and we're talking about matchups and don't really have much to say in terms of interest factor, but you know, anything can happen. I want to like, I want to be interested in like, listen, you, you just expect it to be so chalk. Yeah. And that's kind of how I expect it to go. And I mean, that's what made last year's playoffs so enjoyable is that it wasn't chalk. People were going in talking like, Oh, it's going to be the nets coming out of the East and it's going to be, Lakers coming out of the West because they have LeBron and AD. Who cares if they're the seventh seed? Yeah, exactly. Neither top seed and neither Brooklyn nor LA made it to the finals last year. It was a three versus two matchup. Phoenix and, and Milwaukee. Like which Who of, expected that? Which of the teams outside of Phoenix and Golden State in the Western Conference playoffs has championship pedigree? Would you throw Memphis into that category? No. Because they don't, they don't have any experience going okay. deep into the playoffs yet. I, I think they're perhaps the most fascinating team to divulge in the West because they are 20-3 without John Morant. 20-3. Yes. That's ridiculous. I don't know what it says about Ja, but he he's first team All-NBA if he's playing 106, or excuse me, 80-something games, but he's not. But the fact of the matter is that Grit and grind is back. When you look at pieces like Steve yes, Adams, this Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., up and down the wire, they have a ton of underrated pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John Morant, 
I mean, that, that, that number alone sort of excludes him from any kind of MVP conversation. Can't be the most valuable player on your team when your team is doing better, when you're not on the floor. But it's like, that's why I just find them to be such a fraud team. Okay. You know? Yeah. I, I, your star is supposed to elevate your team. You're not supposed to elevate your level of play when you're without this one guy that people are talking about as an MVP candidate. I mean, how's that, how's that going to win you championships? How's it's that going to win? It's, it's just not. So, like, the two teams with the championship pedigree in the West, it's the Suns and it's the Warriors, and that's probably going to be your Western Conference Finals. You think so? I mean, the only thing that worries me about Golden State is that if Steph Curry is not healthy, this team is going nowhere. Yeah. And I mean nowhere. If he was the MVP for the first half of the season, then he goes down, Draymond goes down, Clay's not 100%. It's troubling. It really is. Well, it's troubling, but it's almost like if they can get back to a point where all three of those guys are healthy, because you, ne- you need Steph Curry because he's your alpha, then you need Clay Thompson to compliment him, and then you need Draymond Green to put in those 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 bruiser minutes you need yeah. him to, to to be that kind of guy so if you have all three of them then you sort of think that it's like all right 20 2015 2016 it's back then they're then they're back to their old level i mean obviously not having kd it kind of hurts but well yeah it, it definitely kind of hurts but, but i they think could, it, what, it, you could also you could see them getting over the hump that is phoenix right yeah. if if it gets to that point. One thing that isn't talked about enough with the Warriors this season is them bringing back Andre Iguodala. What he did for that Warriors team was immensely underrated, and they've missed it over the past few seasons when he was making that finals run with Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for this Golden State team. I'm hopeful that they can get back to a point where they're playing A-level basketball and contending for a championship again. I think... They're a much better team than Memphis is whenever when, when when they're both healthy. I think they're a much better team than Dallas and Utah and Denver. Like I don't even think these teams come close. Like they don't even sniff Golden State when it comes to to, to how, how their their ceiling when it comes time for the playoffs. Because when it comes time for the playoffs, Golden State's just gonna elevate their game. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at the Masters. I'm not a big golf guy, but you're not? A little birdie told me that this is the biggest tournament in the world, so I kind of feel like we should talk about you're not, it. You're not even into it when the Masters are on? I mean, I'm into it when the Masters are on, but the I'm Azalea, not a diehard. So I started, I started playing golf in May of 2020 when I needed to find a way to get out of the house with my buddies in a somewhat safe manner. Okay. So I've kind of sort of started to learn the nuts and bolts of the sport since then. So, looking at this, you know, I think the main storyline coming into the tournament was Tiger Woods. He was under yesterday. He was under. He's over today. He's plus three today. Yeah. So. He's going to make the cut, though. You think he's going to make the cut? Well, he, yeah, because the cut's going to be a lot lower. cut? I think the cut's somewhere around plus four right now. Okay. Because everybody's been playing really bad today just because of the conditions that are there. What, what's like, the light down there? Well, yesterday, yesterday, I guess it was beautiful. I mean, it was a... It was like a storybook kind of day because Tiger's coming back. It's the first time he's playing in like... Since the car crash. Since the, since the car crash. I mean, it, you haven't seen him out there on the course, so it was nice to see Tiger showing up in the hot pink mock neck and, and co- coming up to Augusta when it was in its most pristine form. And then today, it's it's disgusting conditions to, to have to play golf in. Windy, and when you have the fast greens at Augusta, that makes putting hard. 
and if you can't putt at Augusta because of the pin placements, it makes it makes everything a nightmare for people. Yeah, I'm looking at this. I have my little master's cheat sheet up. I look at household names like Jordan Spieth and Brooks Kepka in serious danger of missing the cut. And then you throw in guys like DeChambeau. Well, Zander- DeChambeau is done. Yeah. Absolutely cooked. Plus 140, by the way, for him to miss the cut. That was a lock. Xander Shoffley, too, not looking too great. No. Someone that our guy Tyler Melito picked on a Citrus TV show to win the whole thing. By the way, this guy is notoriously bad at betting. So yeah. if you ever watch one of his shows, do not fade him. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I would probably pick the opposite of what yeah. he picks. So, I mean, today... Uh, today the top performers are Siwoo Kim, uh, Charles Schwartzel, and JJ Spawn. Yep. Uh, a couple of guys over at minus two, minus three on the day. Hideki Matsuyama's back in the back in contention after finishing even yesterday. Morikawa's two under today, so he's one under for the entire tournament. Uh, yeah, you, you've got Justin Thomas, who's had a great day. Harold Varner the third, who's had a great day. I mean, yeah, a lot of these guys you probably you might not have heard of, but uh, they're uh, they're some of the best in the world at what they do. The good news is that the world number one, by the way, minus three, so he's still in contention yeah. right now. The good news is that tomorrow the conditions in Augusta look look pretty good. Yeah, they look pretty good, but you know, and as long as Tiger doesn't fall too far from where he is right now, we're gonna get a whole weekend. I mean, that's what it, you want Saturday, Sunday to come at Augusta with the azaleas and. and the pretty greens and and the fake bird noises um, that um, they pump in on TV. You I'm want happy that on screen. the Sox Yankees game Sunday night isn't until Sunday night, so that I can yeah, so you can actually finish watching the Masters and then you can get on you can get the Jim Nance call at the end of it. You can watch the Green Jacket ceremony and then you can watch the Yankees take down the Sox for a sweep. Oh, you really think that's going to happen? Yes. All right, so let's actually before we get into that, let's go through our history lesson. Sure. Where we on our boys and girls or. Ugh. Where we honor great accomplishments of the past in the coming weeks. So, 63 years ago today, April 9th, the most dominant run in professional sports, and it trails just UConn women in all of sports, began. The Celtics swept the then Minneapolis Lakers mm-hmm. in four games to take home the franchise's second NBA title. That was the first of eight straight titles won by the Celts. Well, you're back 63 years ago. Just last year, on Monday, April 11th, Hideki Matsuyama hung on to beat Will Zalatoris by one stroke, taking home the green jacket. Matsuyama, in that one, he became the first Japanese male to ever win a golf major. Yeah. Speaking of golf, 25 years ago, Wednesday, April 13th, some guy named Tiger Woods won his first major title at the 1997 Masters. It wasn't even close. Woods won by 12 (laughs) strokes over Tom Kite with a four-round total of just 270. That's minus 18. Minus 18 at the Masters. Well, nine years ago on Friday, April 15th, this is one of the most well-known and anticipated sporting events in America, uh, the Boston Marathon. So nine years ago, three people were killed, 183 injured at the 2013 rendition of the marathon uh, after the two explosions. There were two explosions there near the finish line. The city then went into lockdown as the manhunt for the persons responsible went into full force. Yeah, Stephen, I remember watching the Mark Wahlberg movie Patriots Day when mm-hmm. I was mature enough to take it in, and it was it was dark, very eye-opening, and in the days after the marathon bombing, an MIT police officer was killed. I mean, I, didn't, I wasn't living in New England at the time, I was in Houston, but I can barely imagine just how scary it must have been. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know what else happened on April 15th, though? Uh, I think so. I was looking into it. A couple of things. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty significant well, day in, me, in, in history. Let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. A couple of, couple of things. Sports-related, there's, there's one really big thing. All right. I, I saw it, and I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, I had it, but Robinson's number 42 is retired. Yes. By all teams. That's, that's Jackie Robinson Day. That's yep. also tax day. Pretty sure that's also the day Abe Lincoln died. That is... It's a big day. It's a... It's a, it's a very, very it's... historic day. Well, I think that was also Jackie Robinson's debut day also. Yeah, that's probably why. Yeah, I think that's why they retired in on that day. So he made his debut that day. Uh, yeah, th- by the way, if, if the lockdown had extended long enough to where Jackie Robinson Day was not played on the 75th anniversary of his debut... That that would have been the, the icing on the cake for the Fire Manfred movement. For the Fire Manfred movement, yeah, it picked up a lot of steam. But how how could you not let that day happen? I know it's ridiculous. I like I want to know what happened in those behind door meetings because it feels like there was so much bluffing going on. All it took is for one of them to break. What I wouldn't have given to be a fly on the wall. Yeah, what I wouldn't absolutely. have given to be a fly on the wall. And you know what I wouldn't. I'm I'm glad that they held strong on this, but a 14 team playoff. Sounds absolutely ridiculous. Twelve teams as fine as it is. Yeah. Fourteen, we're just letting anybody in at that <laughs> point. Fourteen, I mean, like, I'm going to go back to the standings from last year, but fourteen teams, you're probably letting in, uh, you're, yeah, you're probably letting in a couple of teams with a losing record. Yeah, the Houston Astros in 2020 had a losing record. And yeah, and they made the playoffs. They, made, they, they had no, they had no business the being there. They had no business, but they had no business being there. If you're a team with a losing record, you shouldn't be allowed in the playoffs. I agree. It's like 14 teams. That's ridiculous. Half the league doesn't deserve to make it to the playoffs. All right, so let's wrap up by talking about the series that everyone's talking about this weekend: Red Sox Yankees. They're tied at four in the bottom of the ninth right now. The Yankees have hit two home runs in the game that only would have been home runs at Yankee Stadium. So it stinks, but you live and you learn. Yeah. So, Saturday, it's Pavetta and Severino. Sunday, it's Hauk and Montgomery. Coming into the series, I told myself the Yankees were going to take two out of three. Two out of three? Yeah. I think that's a little bit conservative. Three out of three is... I think that's a little bit more on par with what's going to happen. What's the... I haven't been watching so during this. So, the Yankees so have 9-1-2 coming up. We're bringing in Hansel Robles, our... Oh, I hope Donaldson lifts one to center field and Robles points to the sky like it's a pop-up. Of course you do. I re- Oh, oh I swallowed that up, yeah. Yeah. He made an error earlier before. He did make an error earlier in the game. Uh, I don't think it amounted to anything, though. No. No, because the Yankees didn't. can't hit with runners in scoring position. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that Rizzo two-run jack, did, the runner was on first. The runner was on first, exactly. Yeah. All right, so, but overall, whole aspect of the season, I want to know what your realistic expectations for the New York Yankees are realistic expectations uh i think they're a better team now than they were last year i think that addition by subtraction is a real thing and getting rid of gary sanchez is probably the best move that they could have made all offseason like i don't know if i really would have been happy like i would have been happy obviously if we get freddie freeman or carlos correa well carlos correa not so much but like yeah if, if you go like get Freddie Freeman and Matt Olson. Like, obviously, that's considered a good offseason, but you're still dealing with the dead weight that Gary Sanchez brings, and he's still got to be your four-out-of-every-five-day catcher. 
terrible defensively, inconsistent offensively. The one thing I questioned the Yankees doing this season was getting rid of Gio Rochelle because his de- his glove is phenomenal. Yeah, the, phenomenal. Only, the only glove in better at the hot corner in baseball is no, probably no, Matt Chapman. Oh, I was going to say Arenado. You, actually, yeah, I'd put Arenado over him too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Which, think I think they traded Gio at the right time though. Yeah. I think they trade like at the same and time. Don- that, Donaldson, yeah. Donaldson also offers more upside offensively, but Yeah, 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 yeah. Gio I don't peaked. think he's what he once was. Gio peaked. Let's be real. In 2019. In 2019, tw- in 2020, in 2021, like that was Gio's peak. And it's a, for a guy that you brought in only to only to like add defensive upside. It's not a bad thing that you trade him when his value is so high after a couple of good offensive seasons. But realistically, the Yankees should be a wild card one or a division championship. Yeah, they they have no business not making the playoffs, and so do the Red Sox, so do the Blue Jays. Because the Yankees also have one of the top. I'm going to say top five rotations in baseball. I think that might be a little far-fetched. I think it's, cons- it's, I think it's, it's consistent. It's consistent, but whether or not they're the cream of the crop is dependent upon one thing and one thing only. And that's? Luis Severino. Can Luis he Severino, stay healthy? Can he be a number two? Yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Two. I get that point. I just I love having Jordan Montgomery. I think he's he's like, he's, he's, he's such a he's such a four or five pitcher. Like you can never have too many Jordan Montgomerys. Yeah. Like I would love if I had a rotation of Garrett Cole, a number two, like a solid number two. Like if you go out and get a solid number two and three Jordan Montgomery type of guys, that's a number one rotation yeah. in baseball. Absolutely. Wouldn't it be so poetic if Judge went deep right now? No, no double down the line. At least a double Actually, down the line. That'll be a double. He's gonna hustle that out. Oh, that would have been something. That would have been something. I got Rizzo up with a runner scoring position. Good. Oh, no, no, no. I love that. I love that. I don't think they'll pinch hit him, right? They shouldn't. They, uh, they might. They could because they, they could, could, they could, they could pinch a... hit with Glaber. And no, then... no, no, no. What they could do is intentionally walk Rizzo so you have a righty-facing Stanton. Yeah, so you have a righty-facing Stanton. Stanton okay. already went deep today. So. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, All right, well, we could go on and on yeah, about this, could. but Steven... It's been awesome to have you on, man. Absolutely. Thanks so much for doing it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, for Steven Sklar, I'm Liam Griffin. You can follow us on Instagram at Full Clip Press Podcast. Hey, look at that. They did intentionally walk herself. <laughs> there we go. On And on Twitter at Full CP Podcast. That's F-U-L-L-C-P Podcast. And if you want to be in Steven's chair, all you got to do is talk to me, and we'll make it happen. <laughs> Next week, we've got two episodes lined up for you, one previewing every aspect of the NBA playoffs and one coming out at our normal Saturday time. It's going to be sick. Don't be a stranger.